0: So I think it's important to make a distinction between these kinds of intrusive thoughts that we're talking about, and the kinds of thoughts arising in postpartum psychosis. So signs of postpartum psychosis can include mania, delusions and hallucinations. And action on postpartum psychosis are a great resource offering more information if you're interested to find out more. And of course, if you're having an overwhelming sense or intention to hurt yourself or your baby and making plans to do so, please seek help immediately by calling 999 or visiting your local A&E department.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics by honest conversations. And this week we're going to be looking at intrusive thoughts and I'm going to be talking to Dr. Caroline Boyd who has over 10 years experience working in the NHS in mental health settings and your, um, I do want to say your CV, your qualifications and the the array of uh practices that you're qualified in is unbelievably impressive. I feel like over time I've dipped my toe into quite a few different therapeutic practices and you seem to be able to do them all. So, yeah, you're extremely qualified. She is also the author of Mindful Mindful New Mum, which is, her published research explores mothers' experiences of intrusive thoughts and in their babies. Her work's been featured in New Magazine, Grazia, BBC Radio Scotland and Women's Hour on Radio 4. Caroline specialises in supporting parents around difficulties related to anger and anxiety. So three important questions to begin with. How are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favourite crisp? Um, So how am I really? Mm. First question.
0: I am better than I was. Um, It's half term for us and I wasn't feeling very well a couple of days ago. You know how it's as soon as you stop you kind of get ill um but it was quite a, f- a fleeting virus I think and I'm actually feeling like I had a much better night's sleep last night so I'm feeling all
1: right today yeah bonus oh thank goodness for that I, it's so funny with half term. <laughs> I always feel like they are actually put in at exactly the right time the whole family begins to crumble doesn't it and you're like we need we really mm. really need a, a reset and then yeah lo and behold Hopefully you're, you're all back on track a bit. Star sign and favourite Chris, please. Star sign, I'm Aquarius. I don't know loads about star signs,
0: but yeah, that's me. I recently had my birthday. Yes,
1: I know a bit about Aquarius. I've got two Aquarius in this house. Quite independent oh, really? thinkers, generally quite popular, but actually quite like to the beat of the, to beat to the sound of their own drum is my very quick summation of Aquarius. <laughs> Can you relate to any of that? um
0: well yeah uh, I'm not sure I think so I mean yeah who knows I had a chat with someone the other day and I said it was my birthday coming up and she said oh you're Aquarius and I said yeah and she said oh they're really creative aren't they Mm. and I said well uh sometimes
1: (laughs) other times less so um but yeah I'll go with that I'll go with that take it and crisp Favourite crisps? I, well, so I would say
0: I'm actually quite old school and really like frazzles every now and again. <laughs> um, so that's kind of my old school favourite. And then now that crisps are like really have got a lot posher, I, I actually just like those salt, salted kettles chips, you know, the ones that you can dip in
1: hummus or you know whatever dip quite like those quite partial to those i mean i'm my mind's stuck on frazzles and how great frazzles are they do get quite stuck <laughs> in your teeth don't they yeah but there's a very strong flavor which is probably what is <laughs> so so right we've got some we're on a trying to save some money or recoup some money from doing a big reno so we're on multi-packs of aldi crisps at the moment. And we've got one, which is frazzles, fake frazzles, quavers and onion rings. I mean, it's phenomenal, but they are all extremely strong flavours. Yeah, you can smell them about (laughs) two miles away. Yeah, they're (laughs) always licking their fingers, but they are good. So we're here to talk about intrusive thoughts. And actually, for the listener, Caroline wrote for Mother of All Lists, wrote a post which is one of the most kind of got one of the most traction that I've seen for a long time and I, I supported that by doing a reel about you know the intrusive thoughts that I'd experienced in early motherhood about definitely remember standing at the top of the stairs and thinking oh, I could chuck my baby down I actually often used to think as well standing on a tube platform oh, I could just push someone into the tube mm-hmm. tracks and even as I say it I feel terrible but when I posted that loads of people just tons and tons of people like oh I didn't know everyone else felt like that and what is what do we mean by intrusive thoughts and how common are they well I mean so my research and and
0: specialism is around intrusive thoughts in new mums and and we know dads get them too but maybe just to zoom out a little bit just speaking more generally um they in the general population eighty five percent of people get them. It's probably more um you know our mind is awash with all kinds of thoughts, images, impulses, other flotsam and jetsam, and so yeah, they're very, very common um and I guess well, maybe it's helpful to give the example that I gave in in the blog post that I wrote for you, but I remember when I went to um, New York with my husband, all pre-kids, and we were doing, we were proper tourists, and um, and I was doing, um, a, we were looking at the at Empire States building, and when we got to the top, I was kind of really, I had this really intense urge to jump off, and, and I had to, I remember kind of gripping the pane of glass because it's there's a you know glass where there's the guardrail and um you know as if to kind of tether myself so strong was was this urge and and it was kind of I I give that example because it's quite um a quite a good one for showing the characteristics of an unwanted intrusive thought which is that you know firstly that impulse you know clashed with my current flow of thought and mood I was in a really good mood and enjoyed chatting with my husband um, and the second thing is that it was externally cued by you know being at the top of this mm-hmm. enormously high building um, and the third thing was was that the more that I attended to and attached importance to that urge the more intense it felt so you know kind of responding to that that urge thinking am i crazy for having that kind of Im- urge that's really weird um and and then kind of thinking you know do i do i actually want to jump off you know so having that kind of response intensifies the unwanted thought and we know that 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 is the what happens typically with unwanted intrusive thoughts that we all get from time to time um as i say like 85 percent possibly more of us get them and and what makes them um intrusive is that they are generally you know attention grabbing and they have some kind of emotional charge and they tend to map on to whatever our our current concerns are um, and what we're doing at the time which obviously makes sense So yeah, they're very common and with intrusive thoughts more generally, you know, I always say they tend to fly in the face of social conventions. So generally the content is, you know, thoughts that are morally repugnant in some way. Um, So examples, like you say, just then, you know, having an urge to push someone onto the tube track, you know, and I remember having thoughts like that, you know, when I was kind of in my late teens and and really been quite scared by them um and so the point with intrusive thoughts that we're talking about is that they clash with our sense of self and our values so they feel really at odds with with us and that's where the the really strong emotions come in where we feel that horror that we've had that thought and we might feel fear or disgust for having that thought so they are very very common
1: Yeah, and even the seemingly extreme ones. I mean, obviously it goes without saying I do not want to push anybody onto the train tracks, but and you didn't didn't want to do that jump, but it but it is scary the idea and with that sense of self that it's come from my mind, therefore this is a reflection of me secretly being an absolutely terrible person. I think that's always where I ended up with it. It's like, Oh, am I absolutely secretly a horrible, yeah, horrible individual. Mm Yeah. And that's where it's
0: it's really the meaning that we draw from these thoughts that gives them power when we interpret them to mean that we're somehow mad, you know, we're crazy for having this or, or we're bad, we're inherently bad in some way.
1: And it's interesting, the example you gave and the context you gave about that trip is sounds like it was generally wrapped up with quite a positive time. And I know for myself, if, if something pops into my mind when I'm in a, quite a good headspace, you don't attach anything to them. They're water of a duck's back and they're kind of in and out of your mm-hmm. mind as soon as, as soon as they've happened. In fact, sometimes they can be quite laughable. But the the exact opposite is true if... They appear in a in the context of when you're otherwise struggling,
0: yeah, it, yeah, and we know that they are more likely in the context of feeling very stressed, um and that could be external stressors, you know, think of the pandemic that we've just come through, um not feeling supported um and and feeling like you're struggling um and so. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And I think that that really comes <laughs> to the fore when we're talking about these kind of thoughts arising in parenthood, which is an inherently very stressful time. You know, it's it feels, I think, for a lot of new parents, just like everything is happening all at once and your emotions can fluctuate. You know, you can feel sky high and then dip down low in the space of a single day sometimes Mm -hmm. in those early weeks and months so so it does it does also make sense that they they come up then and then also I think you know as I as I said before they the unwanted intrusive thoughts tend to map on to our current concerns and what we're doing at the time and with a new baby you know we're as a new mum, you're hyper-focused on that baby. You know, of course you are. So it's not surprising that we experience them in early parenthood and beyond.
1: Can you give an example of the mapping that you're referring to? What, the kinds of thoughts? Yes, and how that... Because that was one of my questions, is what is the purpose of them? And do you think that sometimes, A, they might not have a purpose, or B... Uh, is it a case that they're trying to shine a light on something?
0: Yeah. Um, let me. T- so I just, just in case people are listening and they're just one, it'd be helpful to have a few examples of the mm. kinds of thoughts. And then I'd go into, you know, well, why do we have these? Um, so, in the literature, there is actually not that much um, there in in the research, but a leading researcher called Nicole Fairbrother, who's based in Canada. Her team were the first to make the distinction between accidental sort unwanted thoughts of harm about the baby. So examples of those are, you know, having a, a mental image of dropping your baby down the stairs um, or, a, or a word thought sort of, you know, my baby might suffocate. So those are really, really common, pretty much universal. Um, And then the other type of unwanted intrusive thoughts are those of intentional harm. So examples of those might be having um, an unwanted impulse to throw your baby against the wall, to throw your baby out the window. Um, And they are experienced by one in two uh, new mums. So actually, that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, And it's i would say the likelihood is that actually it's more than that because of the worries around reporting these kinds of thoughts it's mm. likely an underestimation so those are the those are the kinds of thoughts that that i'm talking about and obviously they're experienced by new mums as really upsetting and they can feel you know really paralyzing and and destabilizing particularly in this time when you're kind of grappling with adjusting to life as a new mum you were asking you know well why do we have these thoughts and I think you know in a way there's there's actually a few parts to, to what my answer would be for that and I think the first thing to say is that what I found in my research and what's been kind of replicated in the larger studies is that we have these thoughts as a way of adjusting to the huge responsibility of having a child you know it's a huge huge adjustment and and what came up in the research that i did where so my research was a qualitative study and i did in really in-depth interviews with eight women who were experiencing um either accidental or intentional thoughts of harm about their babies um, and they weren't being treated for depression, I should say, at the time. Um, and what I found in my research is that the, these kinds of unwanted intrusive thoughts about their babies made them more conscious of their power and responsibility in contrast to the baby's you know, acute vulnerability. So there's something there about this precious and fragile baby for which we are responsible, which really creates kind of the emotional charge in these kind of unwanted intrusive thoughts. Um, And I should add as well that what, what my research also showed and what my clinical work shows is that women grew more confident over time in their positions of power. And therefore, you know, these kind of unwanted thoughts reduced in intensity and frequency over time. So they do tend to fade in time over time once you, you know, through that adjustment. So I guess that's one part of that, the answer to that question. Um, the other thing I think to say is just that in, in early parenthood, you know, we, we are, our, our threat system is really dialed up. So we are particularly hypervigilant. You know, throughout a day, we've got so many, there are so many anxieties, aren't there? You know, whether it's fear of external judgment or a self-critical thought about am I good enough or a what-if thought about our baby's safety. And our brain can't distinguish between a kind of life or death Threats such as, you know, stepping out into a busy road and there's an oncoming car or a internal experience like an intrusive thought. So what happens is that we get the same um, fight, flight, freeze response coming up in our body. Our brain sends the danger signal um, and releasing all that adrenaline and cortisol. Um, So we, we get the same physiological response to these these intrusive thoughts. Um, and and so they feel very powerful and we get that very strong, you know, that we get these strong emotions like the shame, the horror, the disgust that we've even had this thought. Um, and then it can lead to, you know, if we do have that emotional response and, and then we make meaning of it where we interpret them to mean we're somehow bad or mad then they become harder to dismiss you know and then we might maybe we try to fight the thought or we avoid things tasks like um you know it might be if we have thoughts about worries about our baby drowning in the bath or something around bath time then maybe we start avoiding actually bathing our baby and that's where they can start to become more and more intrusive and upsetting and it can become a bit of
1: a downward spiral it's so interesting listening to you and and I don't think I know it implicitly but I've never really acknowledged the the one of the most challenging things about that that chapter of your life is that you're just your your mind is trying to process so much isn't it not only is it processing the day-to-day task of looking after a baby if you've never done it every single thing in, in your life is is having to be readjusted. And so it's just, you know, your, your body doesn't feel like it did. Your relationship probably doesn't feel like it did. Your day-to-day structure doesn't feel like it did. And we know it in every other part of our life. You know, if you move house, you expect there's some adjustment. Or if someone dies, you expect there's some adjustment. But in that bit... The adjustment we expect so quickly but it and we don't really have the opportunity I think for your for your brain to do that and and of course then it latches onto the what feels like a very acute thing which is look I have got this one I I don't feel confident in myself or my sense of self and yet I'm responsible for this tiny fragile human it's it's a huge it's a huge thing to be working with isn't it?
0: It is, it is. And I think it's it's a really important thing to highlight is that this transition is huge and we have these expectations. And when I say we, I mean in Western culture that, you know, modern mums should bounce back effortlessly and unsupported and like you say we've had these gone through these huge changes in our brains we know that there are brain changes that occur starting in pregnancy which also dial up that hypervigilance and um, and that sense of um, that sense of anxiety actually so that is another way of kind of understanding these thoughts as as kind of normal if you like um so there's all sorts of changes in our brains, in our body, in our identity, and this is what I think Alexandra Sachs talks really powerfully about in the context of matrescence, and that's something you know for f- that we we need to honour and to to really understand those changes and and give ourselves time and grace to to adjust, and I don't think society helps us do that when the structures aren't in place. I don't believe to you know to really support new families and I think the other thing is that we also have these huge pressures to parent perfectly and you know this is where I'm talking about the myth of super mum I call it but some people think of it as the perfect mother myth Um, and it's really this idea that as mums you know and we we get ideas about what the good mum is from a really early age, don't we? We, get, we kind of get this cherry pick version of all the good bits, which we internalise. And so our idea of the good mum, which also, of course, combines with our own experiences of being parented ourselves. But what, what it means is that our idea of the good mum is very much this, you know, idea that it's it's natural and, you know, it's it's an innate ability and that it should be emotionally straightforward and that we're loving every minute Mm. so it's this really kind of reductive idea of of motherhood and and this idea of being a good mum and the problem with it of course is is that it creates the idea that any negative feelings Mm -hmm. are not allowed you know we're denied those those feelings that make us human and so when we have a thought like an unwanted intrusive thought about harming our baby, perhaps on purpose, then there's this double whammy where, you know, we feel that shock and horror uh, having the thought, and then we feel really bad about ourselves for having the thought, so we try to suppress it, and then it becomes this downward spiral. So I think it's it's really it's also very particular this experience of these kind of thoughts in the culture that we have where the idea of the good mum is you know it it discounts this experience of unwanted intrusive thoughts it just doesn't have any space for it so it means that when mums do struggle they they think there's something wrong with them mm. and it's it's very it's very damaging i think
1: yeah it's such difficult thing to wrangle at first that idea that I love my child that I'm grateful to be a mother but that I'm having a very very hard time and there's lots of this that I don't enjoy and there's lots of you know I remember the first time I ever thought questioned whether motherhood was the right choice and you know 10 years down the line it was 100% the right choice but of course when everything you know has changed it's very normal to think like that but yeah the idea that well I, I think it's actually a bigger picture I had um, Alain de Botton on the podcast and he's just like the idea of happiness is such a, a falsehood you know that mm. is life is not happy there are moments of happiness there are moments of joy but essentially life is is a mixture of all of those things and and as with everything parenthood is like the most reduced potent version of the picture of life Mm. isn't it and i think that as you say that is the bit that can be such a roller coaster you can go out you could have been having a great day and then it can be taken away from you or you can still feel lonely but that's just life
0: yeah absolutely so these these kind of thoughts in that context do feel very jarring Mm. and i think it's important to say perhaps at this point that you know, the very fact that that mums will have that strong emotional response, you know, feeling that fear, that horror, that disgust, and, and then, you know, the guilt and the shame is a strong sign that she's very unlikely to hurt the baby. So, you know, research does show that in the absence of other risk factors, having these kind of thoughts makes a parent no more likely to harm their baby. And in fact, the most recent research by Nicole Fairbrother's team, which was published last year, showed that women who reported unwanted thoughts of intentional harm towards their babies are actually slightly less likely to hurt their babies. Um, that research needs to be done on a wider scale to be, you know, to get the kind of the significant finding, um, because it was a smaller sample. But it's, you know, I think it's, it's obviously very encouraging. And I think that it's important for us as professionals as well to be able to sensitive, sensitively assess as to um, what kind of intrusive thought a mum might be having, and the emotional response to that. And then, of course, the wider context you know, needs to be considered as well. So if a mum does state intention to hurt her baby um, and or has a previous history of hurting her baby, then, of course, the risk needs to be taken seriously. But I think, actually, with the kinds of unwanted intrusive thoughts that we're talking about, um, it they don't mean that a mother poses a risk to her baby so I hope that's reassuring for for some of your listeners today um just to understand that and I actually I've got an infographic on my blog that I shared um from Nicole's team which which talks kind of walks you through what are intrusive thoughts what are unwanted intrusive thoughts in the context of parenthood Um, and actually the greater risk is is OCD because of the um, because of this emotional response around these kind of thoughts and p- possibly also the lack of understanding. Um, but we know that seventeen percent of women are diagnosed with OCD in pregnancy and postpartum. So we really need to to be, you know, very thoughtful about how we're assessing these kind of thoughts and the support that um, that the, that mums get. When when they report these kind of thoughts, and just to add that, th- that what we're talking about today in terms of unwanted intrusive thoughts about the about the baby, um, are these kind of thoughts are distinct from the kinds of thoughts that might occur in postpartum psychosis, which is a, you know a more rare condition, which involves mania, hallucinations and delusions, where if you know the mother having a psychotic thought it doesn't clash with her sense of values and her sense of self in the moment in the way that an unwanted intrusive thought does um so maybe it's important to make that distinction as well
1: so almost if i'm right in saying if you're horrified by your own thought that's actually quite a reassuring barometer that that yeah, that that is it is an intrusive thought, but I mean you're you're so right. It's that that reaction to yourself is the bit that feels um, so powerful, doesn't it? That that's the bit that also importantly, I think people stay silent about. Again, in the work that you've done, and when you, I've shared your work, it's that huge relief that people get that it's not just them. And often in early motherhood it can be quite an isolated experience. Often your peers who are having babies, the chances are, unless you're very lucky, they aren't your good friends. So you don't feel comfortable enough to say, oh, I thought this last night. Or Mm -hmm. if you haven't got, you know, in the more traditional sense, that village around you for someone to say, actually, don't worry about it. We've all all had those thoughts. it, It begins to fester. And earlier you touched on something that I definitely related to in terms of anxiety where, for a period to give you an example for a period I got really anxious when I got on the tube and then in order to get on the tube and make it okay I'll be like oh I'll get I'll get water and chewing gum and then it'll be okay and then I became anxious about whether I could get water and chewing gum and suddenly mm-hmm. what was occasional bit of anxiety on the tube became extremely debilitating and I think that is the bit that you want to try and stop before it begins to spiral isn't it
0: yeah yeah and thank you for sharing that and I can sort of understand how the that response of kind of wanting you know you it's it's kind of similar isn't it to a response where if you're having unwanted intrusive thoughts about your baby stopping breathing, then you might really increase the amount of times you check on them in the night. you know it's a kind of perhaps a similar mm-hmm. thing um and yeah, I think early intervention, early identification, if you like, is really, really key. So I think one of the things that I really recommend for women and men too, because we know that dads get these kind of thoughts, is to talk to someone, um, to talk to to a loved one, someone supportive, a mum friend who gets it as a first step. Um, and also to talk, if you feel like these kind of thoughts that you're really struggling with them and they're getting in the way of everyday life with you and your baby, then, you know, please talk to your GP um, or your midwife or your health visitor, if you have a good relationship with them, because, you know, that talking with your GP, their role is really to understand the context for you and um, to get you the best support that you need. And I think, you know, women have, contacted me on Instagram and said that the response they've had from professionals has been variable and in some cases it's been really unhelpful where having these sharing these thoughts unwanted intrusive thoughts has has been responded to with a kind of knee jerk reaction and you know in some cases involving social services because of a perceived risk to the baby so that's where I think Nicole's Nicole Fairbrothers research, which I've mentioned earlier, is becomes really important. Um and I share on my on my website kind of steps for speaking with your GP about these kind of thoughts, you know, talking with someone first and thinking about what examples you might want to share that you feel comfortable with. Um, but the point of talking with with someone else is that it gives you a chance to to process these thoughts and to make sense of them and to understand, you know, that you're not the only one that gets them and they don't mean that you're mad and they don't mean that you're a bad mum and to understand how common they are. And actually with, you know, you asked at the beginning, like, why do we get these thoughts? And, And actually understanding them as part of the adjustment to the huge responsibility of having a baby, we can understand them as a bit like an effective warning system, you know, they, if you imagine, you know, having your newborn, and they're so tiny. And when you're, you know, a new mom, you may never have held a a baby before, you know, that's the case for some people, or, or you may have done, but not for a long time. So they feel quite fragile. And imagine that you go somewhere where you're up high. And you have, you know, you have a worry thought of, what if I drop them? You know, if you imagine on a balcony and you have this worry thought, what if I drop them? So you, what do you do? You take three steps back. Then also imagine you're on that balcony and maybe you have an urge to throw your baby off. I would say, what do you do? You probably grip your baby tighter so there's a real sense of, you know, they' they're teaching us in a way to to protect our babies mm-hmm. and and to take care at a time when, you know, we're feeling very tired. Um, and, and so they are understood as adaptive. Um, and it's actually how we respond to them that is the important bit. So, you know, the more that we attend to them and attach importance to them or think that actually that it means we're going to act on them, the the louder they'll get and they'll increase in power and intensity. So actually what we want to do is to try and find ways to to separate ourselves from these thoughts, you know, to notice them. So kind of to bring in those mindful mindfulness skills around noticing these thoughts and, you know, focusing inwards and noticing them with kindness and and kind of bringing the context you know okay so this you know I'm I'm feeling really tired at the moment you know maybe I'm just feeling really vulnerable at the moment and I'm I'm getting these kind of worry thoughts maybe this is a sign that I need more support and I would say that's the case um, perhaps for some of those unwanted intrusive thoughts that mums might might have um in the middle of the night you know after multiple wakings feeling absolutely exhausted um i know that mums have described having unwanted intrusive thoughts of intentional harm um because it's you know you're talking about a mum in the middle of the night having all those not allowed thoughts and feelings and we never actually really talk about what goes on in a mum's head in those moments but Maybe if we think about it for a moment, you know, in those overwhelming moments, your baby's crying and crying inconsolably, it seems. And we know that the baby crying for long periods is a a very obvious, understandable trigger for having an unwanted thought of intentional harm. And and so a mum is more likely to have, in that over moment of overwhelm, an unwanted impulse to throw her baby out the window. Um, so in that moment of overwhelm, you know, that mum has gone into threat mode, her emotional brain has taken over, her thinking brain has gone offline and if she perceives herself unable to cope and soothe her baby in that moment, you know, and maybe she's just been scrolling through Instagram and seen posts of perfect mums with their perfectly behaved (laughs) smiling babies, then that's going to be playing into those that moment too then she may well be she may well be then thinking this is too much Mm. and I can't do this so she loses the context and she loses the you know by the context I mean the the ability to kind of create a bit of mental space between that impulse and and that moment of overwhelm to just remind herself or oh, my baby's teething or I've had a really long day um, and and to just bring the context to that moment. So what, what is important here is how she responds to that impulse in that moment of overwhelm and how far she understands what's being triggered in her in that moment. And again, you know, as I said before, context is really important and these if you're having thoughts and impulses you know these unwanted thoughts and impulses a lot and these moments of overwhelm are happening a lot then they can be a really helpful sign that we need some extra support um so that's something i think is just helpful to add and and then in the moment to just i would recommend for that you know, mum in the moment of overwhelm to put her baby down safely if she can, or to hand over to a partner if she has one, and to step away for a few minutes to self-regulate, splash her face with water, um, focus on her breath if she can, and then she she'll be able to, through doing that, bring her thinking brain back online again and be able to kind of connect with what what are the feelings underneath that impulse and, and those fears, you know, I can't do this, and what are the unmet needs, you know, is it a need for more support, is it a need for feeling validated and understood, you know, it could be, it could be lots of different needs there that aren't being met for her. So, yeah, I hope that's helpful just to to add that these kind of thoughts can can be helpful to explore and to make sense of, and and sometimes with the support of a professional,
1: sometimes not. I think it's it's, um, it's so useful. And in my experience of of various mental health challenges, and most specifically with anxiety, but I feel like like these are quite closely related. Actually, for me, the moments that, that felt like the very bottom, you know, the moment when I did first seek professional help, ended up being the beginning of moving towards something else. It, it's kind of accepting that I'd reached my limits. And in the case of anxiety, it, actually, I look back and it's... When it was acute, it's because there's a lot of things going on in my life and because of lifestyle choices that I was making. And and similarly with this, if you ask yourself with kindness, why might my brain be putting out these signals? Because, because of all the, the reasons we've already talked about. And actually, if what feels like, as I say, the bit that is, this is unimaginable, why am I like this? If that is the impetus to finally say, somebody help me, let me go and sleep in another room tomorrow night, then, yeah, weirdly, they are so often the turning points to getting help. And I always feel inclined to press upon people. In In my worst moments postpartum and in my worst moments of anxiety, I couldn't imagine how these things would ever change and i was like this is who i'm going to be now that was always the narrative oh maybe i'm secretly a bad person maybe i'm now an anxious person but there is always a way out of these things isn't there
0: yeah and i'm so glad that you mentioned that that sometimes you know we've talked about having these unwanted intrusive thoughts and they you know and the meaning we attach to them giving them power and then we've also talked about when they can be a sign that actually we've reached our limit and, and, and there are unmet needs there that, we, that need attending to and maybe we do need more support. But actually that can be, yeah, I mean it's, I think what I try to talk about with the women I work with and really encourage and I think came out in what you were saying is that those are the times when we are most deserving mm. of help and support. And you know we can get very caught up with these stories that we create about ourselves, and those fear-based, self-limiting beliefs of "I'm I'm a shit mum" or "I'm I'm an anxious person." You know, and and it's it's really it can be really transformative, actually. And this is Tara Brack calls this calls this kind of process that you're talking about beautiful monsters because it's monstrous because it's so can feel so destabilizing and so distressing and at the same time you know it's beautiful because actually these are these are times when we learn more about ourselves and we do we become more in touch with ourselves and we we get to know our internal world and to understand more about you know the kinds of thoughts that we're might be having and the feelings underneath them and you know the the, those ways to redirect attention as well which is why i think mindfulness skills can be can be really helpful in that you know and, and how to focus attention away from certain thoughts that just aren't aren't serving us
1: no it's it's so true and we i think like being kind to yourself just thrown around so much that sometimes we don't hear it but you you really do have to offer yourself kindness and a a very small thing but I think it's so powerful that took me a long time to understand you can leave the room you can take yourself away and that isn't failure and it's amazing uh, you know not with a newborn baby in the middle of the night but so often I I advocate for going for a walk around the block if you can possibly find the way to do that and just that 10 minutes of, of reset is is transformative. But when you're in the depth of it, you just get pulled down and down and down. But you know, walking away and take, giving yourself time out is such a huge tool. It
0: absolutely is. And I think, you know, God, I mean, we could talk uh, another conversation, yeah. but just about how the emphasis really is, I think, on the baby and, you know, our models for understanding child development and this whole adjustment are very child centric and focused on the baby which is of course hugely important and I advocate for the baby in my work of course at the same time it's so important that we um we allow the the mother to honor her own needs because you know her needs are interconnected with her baby's and And they need attending to as well. So like you say, you know, if anyone's listening, and you've had a terrible night of broken sleep with your baby, maybe your two year old or your five year old, and you've had to leave the room, and you've had to step away to regulate yourself. It does not mean that you're bad. Um, It doesn't mean that you're failing. It means that you're taking the steps to look after yourself so that you know, that, so that you can come back together with your baby and repair if you need to. And and you can mother in the way that you you would like to, in line with your values and your authentic self. So I think that's
1: a very powerful thing to emphasise. Mm. And I love the bit that you referred to with your thinking brain. Because I think that is the other bit that's destabilising about early parenting. I was like, I just feel like I couldn't get to that version of me much at all, or maybe mm. I'm reflecting badly, but it, it, yeah, it's really difficult to get to that. But you're you're in survival mode basically for a huge chunk of time, and that's not something we're we're used to. So of course it's hard. Mm. What do you think helped? If it's all right to ask, what you what tra- what, the what was the transition? Actually... Yeah,
0: what what sort of helped you get more in in a sense of your own identity as a mum? that was the kind of fit for you
1: the I think mm, this is a really good question I think that moving away from I don't know if it's controversial but I think I had a version of motherhood that was a lot about service and that mm-hmm. that yeah whereas as I begun to be able to prioritize my needs a bit oh, I don't know I'm 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 struggling because I think it's it's such a long journey actually mm-hmm. you know I can parent well I can reflect on the baby days with relative confidence now because I've done it three times and I'm this far down the line so I've been able to reflect and learn but I, I I'm aware that I'm going to have to parent teens soon and I will go back into that bit of of not necessarily knowing what I'm doing and my triggers being Set off, and my children feeling frustrating and you know so i d- yeah i i don't I can't really answer that question other than to know that i do I fully believe in that putting your own oxygen mask on in order to parent them better yeah, without doubt there's a is it a a young quote which is there's no greater damage to a child than a mother's life unlived or i I've, I've misquoted that, but yeah. no I think that's someone's
0: bang on, and I think. Yeah, I think it's really powerful what you just shared, because actually, it is about learning to prioritise our own needs. But that can feel very unfamiliar Mm -hmm. and uncomfortable in a culture where women and from the age of when we were little girls, it was about being, you know, self-sacrificing and nurturing and caring and ultimately putting others needs above our own. So it does feel like it goes against the grain. And I think this is where becoming a, a mother can be really transformative because actually it, it also involves and obviously this is a process um a lot of unlearning around certain beliefs around ab- about ourselves and mm-hmm. as you were saying developing a kinder relationship yeah. with ourselves and and also therefore our thoughts um so I think that's I think that kind of <laughs> really is at the heart of certainly my frame for motherhood um is 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 learning to do that and I think it's a work in progress for all of us and understanding I really like the idea of understanding parenting as as in terms of seasons you know and matrescence again is really helpful for this it's it's an ongoing process it's not only when we become a new mother but when there are different stages and you know like you say moving into parenting teens you know and and just being well, I think it comes back to self awareness, doesn't it? And just really attending to your own feelings and, and needs, and what's being triggered in you in that process, mm-hmm. and just continuing to to attend to that as well as what's going on for your kids. Um, and it's all done imperfectly.
1: That was much, that was going to be my goes. exactly that. <laughs> like the real, I think you know, at the point that I became a parent, I'd always tried very hard at everything that I'd done you know worked well at school gone to uni got a career like real good girl behavior which is mm-hmm. fine and then when you realize that you can't kind of ace parenting you can't it, mm. because it's so multifaceted and or if you can ace parenting what's happening to your sense of self and again I think it's Alan de Botton or the school of life have talked a lot about the good enough parent you know I'm trying to give my kids veg. I'm trying not to let them be on screens all the time. I'm trying to make them be decent people. But then again, of course, there are days when they just eat beige food and there are times when they are on the screen more than I'd like. and, And that's okay, you know. And that is okay,
0: And that is the good enough parent, which I think for some people it feels, you know, especially when we've had all those good girl narratives, it can feel... When we, when we first hear it or when we yeah, when it first comes up, it feels a bit like, well, that feels like I'm settling.
1: Mm. Whereas
0: actually it's understanding that the good enough parent is, you know, attending to her kids' needs um, as far as she can. And of course, you know, she wants to be their secure base and provide that safe haven, you know, all to give that child a sense of secure attachment. And at the same time, she's not a saint. She does have limits. She will mess up and make mistakes. And that is also really important for her child's development, actually. Mm. You know, and we know that only even the most attuned mums only get it right a third of the time. (laughs) So, you know, we've just got to give ourselves grace.
1: (laughs) What a relief. But to go back to, like, really acutely to the intrusive thought things, it's like we know that other people are thinking this and rest assured that other couples are arguing in the middle of the night and, and rest assured that every mother has thought why on earth have I done this or rolled their eyes at having to go to the playground or or found playing with a kid really boring doesn't mean you don't love them. It's like none of us, none of us are doing this in the angelic way <laughs> that we, we thought no. we should be doing it.
0: No, and nor should nor should no. we be, and that idea of the perfect mum that you might, you know, we've all internalized. You know, I sometimes talk with clients. You know, would you want to be friends with them? <laughs> you know, it's but not we being perfect is not what it's about. So, like you say, being human, you know, bringing our own imperfect selves and show and showing up where we can, and and also because these things can be mutually true attending to our own needs and connecting with our identities in a way that in ways that we need to because that will bring a wholeness to our sense of self and that will be helpful for our children too as well as for ourselves
1: well this is it and i think we want to raise kids who like prioritise themselves but above all who can ask for help when they're struggling you know if I wanted to give one gift to my kids it would be to know that I love them when they're anxious when they're feeling like the worst versions of themselves and it it always comes back to this but the only way that they can learn that is to see us model that
0: absolutely with all our vulnerability because <laughs> we all have it
1: <laughs> yeah I laugh I think my kids really definitely get to it ex- ex- see all of the, the things that are me and I, I'm I'm absolutely fine about that you know and I, I am very confident in saying to them I can't do this with you now because I've got to do this I love you and I will when I can but I've got to go on exercise or I've got to do this and not none of that is a reflection of you and yeah and I hope that they learn that learn those boundaries too but we'll see
0: yeah no I think that you know you're you're modeling the things that are important to you and, you know, and they will, they will pick up on that. And, and they will also develop their own interests and the things that are important to them and hopefully invest time and energy into that in line with their values. So I think it's, you know, it's all good stuff. Yeah, And And I would say just on, on intrusive thoughts, you know, anyone who's listening and feels like they're struggling with their thoughts, please just please do talk to someone and ask for help. Yeah, and you know, chances are it can feel like you're taking a bit of a, a risk to to share it with a mum friend. Um, at the same time, you know, it's you're m- more likely you will find that they've had similar experiences, given how common they are. Oh,
1: it's I going back to where we began with like online stuff. Every single time I go to share something that I feel is weird and a little bit, ugh, I put it out and it's always the stuff that kind of gets the most traction. And there is nothing like that feeling when someone goes, oh, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. like, oh, what? This thing that was my, like, thing that I thought was weird or bad or strange, oh, no, it turns out you're all doing it. and And it's just the most, yeah, relieving feeling, isn't it? It's just what makes us human. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And I think it, yeah, it provides huge relief to understand that you feel, yeah, to have your experience shared and to feel that you're not feeling, you're not being judged in that. Someone's like right alongside you in that.
1: Yeah, it's it's all the things we know and Brene Brown talks about it a lot. You know, the courage of vulnerability is the bit that really can cement some amazing friendships in in this space as well. Mm two questions to end um where can people find you and also give a good old plug to your your brilliant book oh so i um i'm on instagram
0: at underscore sometimes people forget the underscore but it's at underscore dr boyd and my book mindful new mum a mind body approach to the highs and lows of motherhood is available in most good bookshops i think um so yeah I think that's probably a
1: good place to say about, that. <laughs> and my second question, which is always a whopper if and my last question, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be, and what would you say? Oh my goodness, yeah <laughs> oh well gosh,
0: what a famous person i
1: know well, take take it as you as you like I've had all kinds of answers to this question. I mean,
0: I'm I'm thinking of people like Razika Parker and Adrian Rich who have written so honestly about motherhood. So I think I'd wanna have a conversation, I think with one of them and, and learn from them and hear their experiences. So maybe that, I'll go with that for now, I
1: think. Yeah, I'll go with that. It's so interesting. Again, being kind of several years down the line and on the digital thing, but also in parenting and like the, how the narrative has changed from when I began in this. And no, it felt like nobody was talking honestly about parenting. And then I wonder whether we're in a new wave where, oh, I don't know, it's fascinating the journey of, of this, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. And I think there is a lot more talk on platforms like Instagram, honest talk about parenting and, you know, experiences that that don't fit with the perfect mother myth. And that is incredibly helpful. And kind of, I guess, alternative stories of motherhood, mm. um, which is really, really helpful. And was partly why I wanted to set up on Instagram was to be part of that conversation, because I think it is a really... Really strong, powerful platform. You know, a lot of parents are on it, and, and as a way of sharing psychology insights and you know stories of, of motherhood and experiences of motherhood that help ultimately help parents feel less alone and less ashamed in their experiences. And then at the same time, I think you know we know about social media. The thinking about the light and the dark of it is that. Of course, you know, the research I think consistently shows that detrimental impact it has on our mental health and actually how those kind of curated feeds that really reinforce the some of those messages around the perfect mother myth and the super myth are just incredibly unhelpful. So I think it's, it's kind of both and, isn't it? And I think it, it does mean more countering those myths and to continue on and you know i first set up on instagram to share my research findings around unwanted intrusive thoughts with the knowledge that you know my research was published in a journal and parents don't you know they don't tend to people generally don't tend to read journal papers um, perhaps least of all tired (laughs) new mums so i wanted to share that information to to parents in a helpful accessible way and that's what inspired me to set up on instagram i think it's a constant di- uh, constant um dilemma i suppose about about how to engage with social media in a way that feels helpful but also helpful for you know me as a therapist for you as a very kind of high profile voice um so that you don't get too wrapped up in, or caught by the darkness of social media.
1: That's it. You've exactly touched on the thing that I can't quite wrangle. I, I feel proud and, you know, I know why this journey has unfolded, but I also ask if it was the right one, if it shifted some narratives and a different, and again, this is a whole different conversation, but less around the super mum, but around the idea of um, marrying a career in motherhood and that you can do it all and that you can, you know, make a profession of motherhood, which is definitely ill-advised for so many reasons. Instagram has helped me hugely, but I think if I'd have had it as a new mum, I, I think lots of it would be very confusing. And you said earlier about we've got all these things coming at you when you're a new mum. If all the different messages in social media were coming at me when I first started out on it as a mother, would it have added to it? I don't know. There is no answer. I guess it's going with it, with that acceptance that we've only learned on the go with social media as we have with parenting. But I, I wonder whether we'll look back and go, hmm.
0: Well, I think we are still learning. I mean, I think there's a lot of learning to happen and a lot more, I think, needs to be put in place to. I'm thinking about porn now, so, you know, that's getting off topic a bit more. But of course, it's related But in terms of what is impacting, you know, behaviours around um, or understandings of sex for young people. Um, So, but. That's a slight aside, I suppose, but I think it comes back to self awareness and boundaries mm-hmm. and you know an understanding how how powerful actually the media and social media can be, and just being really as thoughtful as we can be about how we engage with it, so I would say you know for parents who are experiencing unwanted inducive thoughts of harm, and we know that the majority will at some point, um, given how common they are, if you're experiencing them in a way, you know, these are anxiety driven thoughts. Um, If you're experiencing them in a way that feels very um, destabilizing, and they're really, you know, you are getting into a bit of a downward spiral with them, and that can happen. And this is why I was talking about you know reaching out for help and sharing your thoughts with someone that you trust to help with that process to get you the support that you need. But I would say for a mum who's experiencing them in that way, then just to steer clear of social media, you know it's likely not it's likely not going to be helpful for someone feeling very anxious because there is there is just so much out there mm. there's so much conflicting, confusing information. Um, and so I think, yeah, just just keeping clear of it for the time where you're feeling anxious is is probably advisable.
1: Do you know what? I had um, Gemma Styles on the podcast and we talked about social media and she just gave a great. A great analogy. If you're feeling a bit vulnerable, a bit tired, a bit anxious, you wouldn't go into a room with several hundred or several thousand people that you didn't know and try and get their opinions on something to help yourself out. Like that is, it's so obvious. If you're feeling a little bit like that, you go you shut that door and you go and have a cup of tea with someone in real life that you know And I, I think we really have to remember although it's digital it is the equivalent of throwing yourself in that and then on another day when you're feeling confident and extrovert and you want to go on yeah socialize with people go on there but p- try and boil it down to quite a real life version like that and it's so obvious yeah I'm feeling mm. a hormonal and a bit <laughs> insecure yeah you're not going to want to go and hang out in the lion's (laughs) pit of many people it's so true anyway i'm very aware of time thank you caroline this has been everything that i hoped it would be yes i feel like i've got a bit of a free therapy session out of you which is is really (laughs) fun oh well
0: i'm glad to hear it's been it's felt helpful and thank you so much for having me on it's been a complete pleasure
1: to talk with you that was a really interesting episode I remember when I first came across Caroline and her work and also when she first wrote for Mother All This I just really really wished that I'd had access to it when yeah when I first became a mum I'm wondering if I had any intrusive thoughts before then I've got a vague recollection of maybe having them as a teenager which would make sense it's another massive time of transition a lot going on um, lots of hormones but I feel like it comes up a lot with the subjects we talk about, but particularly with this one, as she said, this is so normal. Those weird thoughts you have, somebody else has had a version of them. Often, you know, maybe someone next to you in the post office queue or also at the top of what monument was she? Oh, the one in America. Anyway, the point is don't feel traumatised by your own mind. It can do stuff that feels shocking or weird, but it's much more normal than you think, and I, I really want to press upon the point that if if this has happened often, it is a signal that maybe you have reached your capacity, that maybe you need to seek help, and I always think if any of the people that I love were feeling like that, I'd hate the thought that they didn't think that they could reach out, whether that be my sister or a friend or anyone So do reach out. There is such power in allowing people to help you and there's a power in in knowing what your capacity is and, and, and being vulnerable. But more importantly, it will be all right. Things will work themselves out. So that's that. Thank you so much for listening. That's another episode of But Why Done. So, so grateful to have you here. Please join me next week for more Honest Chats. And in the meantime, rate, review, subscribe, share it with your mates. It all makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, come follow us on at but Why Podcast on Instagram. I am now off to do some dusting. I am always dusting, but this house is always dusty. There's a real problem if you do a big renovation like we are doing. You get some rooms that get finished, but while other rooms aren't finished, they are constantly filthy. I've got a lovely bathroom, the kids' bathroom which is checkered in fact you can find us at the forever home on instagram there's a beautiful bathroom but already the grouting is filthy because it's had builders and dust ingrained into it which is pretty depressing given that it's brand new anyway first world problems wishing you a good day catch you next time Bye bye